The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey brothers, welcome back to the Liberation Mental Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Nick Regrettis, and I'm speaking to you from my home studio in Tucson, Arizona. Today's guest is a master of the internal arts and the external arts. He is an expert in helping people move better and feel better, and he has a lot to share. But before we get into that, I just want to share with you guys what's going on with uh, my businesses and how hopefully they can help you. So you guys know that I've been coaching one-to-one for a couple of years. And as I've mentioned in a previous episode, I'm now doing a mastermind, which is it's really fucking cool. There's no other way to put it. It's a, a group of guys who are collectively trying to raise their games and just improve the quality of their health, wealth, and relationships. And uh, we have a, a monthly group video call. I do weekly videos where I give them specialized content on those topics, health, wealth, and relationships, as well as entrepreneurship, psychedelics, exercise, training, and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. And um you know, I share daily content as well, written content in the in the group. And these guys are all having an amazing time. They're all learning, they're all growing, they're all getting results, most importantly. Uh, and it's something I'm very proud of. And I absolutely know that it will help you if you feel that you want to take your life to the next level, but you feel like it's too much of a challenge to do it on your own, right? Because that's often the most difficult aspect of of growing and evolving and becoming the person you want to be is it's it's hard to do it on your own. It's hard to not have support. It's hard to not to know where to look to find the the knowledge and the wisdom you need. So my mastermind is is really helping with that. And um, as I said, it's something I'm super proud of. If you want to find out more about it, just send me an email, nick at liberationmentor.com, and we'll have a, a brief discussion. We'll see if it's the right fit for you. So yeah, send me an email and we'll chat more about that. The other thing that I wanted to share with you guys, again, something I'm super proud of, which is um, my new health and wellness company called 100% Health, which you can find at 100%.health. We've launched one product so far, which is what I really believe to be the best nootropic formula on the market. It's called BDNF, which stands for Best Damn Nootropic Formula. And uh, man, this thing is just amazing. I use it myself four days a week. I cycle on and off it because it's pretty strong. I found that if I use it more than two days in a row, it starts because of the nature of the compounds. It starts, it has a cumulative effect. So I start feeling that it's a little bit too much. So I have to dial it down, but it is the most balanced nootropic formula on the market. We use the most amount of highest quality ingredients. A lot of nootropic manufacturers, even some of the big ones, in fact, especially some of the big ones, they kind of jip you by putting low amounts of the, of the expensive quality ingredients in uh, and then hiding behind proprietary blends. We refuse to do that. We we tell you exactly what's in our product and what's in it is pretty good. It's got all the good stuff. Alpha GPC, which is the best form of choline, uh, hoopazine serrata. We've got L-teanine, whole coffee fruit extract, which is an amazing antioxidant. And it's just, honestly, it's an, it's an amazing product. I'm so proud of it. You know, I made this decision with myself many years ago, which was that I'd never try to sell anyone something that I wouldn't use myself or that I didn't believe in myself. And 
this is the perfect example of that. Um, BDNF is an amazing product. It will help you think more clearly. It will help you form sentences more clearly. Uh, it will help with your memory recall. I found that it's got a bit of a, a mood enhancing effect as well. And uh, it's just a wonderful product. Obviously, we have a 30-day money-back guarantee. If you're not happy with the product, you can send it in and, and we'll, we'll refund your money. But I don't think you'll do that. I think you'll be like, whoa, <laughs> this stuff's amazing. I want more. There is a launch special that's happening for another week or so after this, this episode airs. If you head on over to 100% Health and you purchase a bottle of BDNF and you use the coupon code BDNF25, you will get 25% off the product. So make use of that. After that, I don't think we'll, we'll have uh, discounts that high anymore. It's an introductory discount. And um, yeah, let me know your thoughts on the product and, and what kind of use you get out of it. So two things to finish, and then we'll jump into the episode. If you want to know more about my mastermind group, uh, which is my group coaching platform that'll change your life, send me an email, nick at Liberation Mentor, and that's nic at liberationmentor.com. Or if you want to get the best damn nootropic formula on the market, head on over to 100%.health and add it to your card. It's called BDNF and use the coupon code BDNF25 and you'll get 25% off. Okay, guys, let's dive right into the episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Liberation Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Gregorides, and today's guest is a master of both healing and hurting, a man who bridges the gap between East and West, and someone who has truly conquered the use of the human vehicle. I'm so happy to introduce Dr. Mark Cheng. Dr. Mark, thanks so much for coming on the show. It's an honor to be here, Nick. Man, so good to finally catch up with you again. Yeah, it's great. We met, we were just discussing this before I hit record, we were trying to figure out whether it's been two years or three years ago. And it was my, our mutual friend, Dan Daniele Bolelli, kept telling me, you've got to meet this guy, Dr. Mark. You've got to meet him. He's so cool. And I was like, sure, I'll meet him. Like, yeah, I didn't need much convincing after hearing a little bit about you. And we went to train with you at your home in, uh, please remind me that the place where you live. Yeah, Diamond Bar. Yes, that's it. Okay, so, so we went to go to meet you at your home. And I remember it was... Um, me, Daniele, and Daniele's uh, girlfriend, Savannah, who's a, a, an aspiring MMA fighter and actually becoming an amazing female MMA fighter. And I, I look, man, I've, I've been around physical culture for long enough to know if someone is on the level or not, you know, like, and I just, just spending that hour with you and, and seeing how you train and how you were training Savannah, I was like, this dude is legit. Um, and that's why I wanted to have you on the show is you bring a very different perspective to physical culture and, and the training of the, of the body. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. Thank you. It's an honor to be finally be on here. I, you know, we, I really, I'm so glad that we could make this time work together for us both. For sure. So, you know, the first thing that way I wanted to kick it off is, is my interest in your work is, you know, you, you do a lot of your training at a very slow speed. And when, when I was younger, I could do things like plyometric stuff and a lot of explosive style movements. And, you know, I loved it and I could see the benefit in it for the type of martial arts training I was doing. And, you know, I'm not saying this, this, uh, I'm not saying this anything wrong with that style of training, but as I've gotten older, I've just found that 
it's, it's like my body just doesn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing. It just doesn't like, it's almost like it's, I don't want to say allergic to it, but it, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't, it doesn't suit my body anymore. So with the, with the exception of a few uh, sprints a couple of times a month, which I think are very beneficial, I, most of my training is pretty slow. Like it's characterized by slow, deliberate movements. And, you know, I'll, I'll go to the gym and I'll lift weights and I'll use really strict, slow form or I'll do nice, slow yin style yoga stretching in my home. And I, I think you've, you, you were onto this many, many years ago and you, you live or your work is, is uh, defined by a particular expression, which is go hard or go home is, is selfish and myopic. So I'd love to start there and just find out a little bit more about why you feel that way and why, and how you arrived at that, that perspective. Let me back. Let me backtrack a little bit. I, I think I had a, a little bit of a head start as far as understanding the slow speed, and not to give people the wrong impression that slow is the only way I train. Um, I think you know slow is is definitely as my colleague Jimmy Yuan, Doctor Jimmy Yuan, who's co-founder of K Three, um, likes to say, slow is a speed. Um, and if we are good athletes, we need to be able to move at different speeds. It, just like a car, if you think about your car, like you wouldn't want a car that only goes one speed because the handling of that would be quite a wreck. If your body has the ability and your nervous system has the ability to comprehend, control, and like feel totally competent and comfortable in all of these different speeds, at all of these different rates, at all these different like levels of intensity, then you as a human being have, have experienced a, a greater spectrum of, of, the, of the human potential, right? So mm -hmm. if you can only train slow, you're missing out on an awful lot. Not to mention that like at sports speed, you're going to be quite handicapped in certain areas. Mm -hmm. But if you can only go fast and you don't know how to train slow, you don't know how to, how to slow things down to be able to perceive greater detail, to be able to not only see flaws or errors or deficiencies in movement or control, but also to experience them, then... Mm -hmm. That's like that's why I term that myopic. So the ability to slow down allow. I mean, think about what happens in sport, right? Like if we're watching a, a fight, like an MMA fight, we want to see greater detail of what happened, of whether a technique was illegal, or, or whether did someone tap, did someone not? Uh, what gave them a particular advantage? Was that particular shot a legit thing, or did the person just fall down? What do we always do? We watch the slow motion replay. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So in watching the slow motion replay, we gain better insight and the more angles we're allowed to see. Now, if we can do that with our own bodies, if we can do that with our own lives, if we can do that with our own thought processes, how much more insight are we going to get and how much more control and, and confidence are we going to have? Wow. That's, yeah, I absolutely love that. And, and it ties into some, something that I've been thinking about a lot for a long time, which is, uh, you know, there's a Benjamin Franklin quote, which is, he who has patience can have anything he wants, right? And I think that our society is so obsessed with speed, largely, and the root of that is largely impatience. And to to me, you know, the other thing I learned about impatience, which blew my mind, I, I couldn't believe I'd gone my whole life without knowing this, which is that at the root of impatience itself is the fear that you won't get what you want. That's the yes. only reason people ever become impatient for anything is they're worried, oh, I won't get that, that thing I'm striving for. It's that FOMO, fear of missing out. Fear of missing out, right? Is, yeah, that's a huge, huge part of it. And 
to me, like, again, this is tied into something else that I'm fo so focused on is this idea of how you do one thing is how you do everything. So I find that any, the energy that you, you move through the world with largely dictates everything that comes to you or everything that you experience. And I've noticed that the, the true masters, the people who have really mastered life, they don't rush because there's no need to, because they're not impatient anymore, because they're not worried about not getting what they want. And so I find that this ties in with the, your idea of, of mastering this particular speed of movement, the slow speed. And I'm, I'm just wondering, is, is that, does that carry over into your life as well? Is that, is that the way you move through the world? Like understanding this idea of slowness and, and incorporating it? Hmm. That's very thought provoking. Like I, I'd not heard that thought that the math, I can't remember exact wording. Like, if you've mastered something, then you take your time. What exactly was the wording of that again, please? So it, it comes down to um, at the root of impatience is the fear that you won't get what you want. So you you usually will be in a hurry when you're trying to. Let's say someone's trying to make uh, build a career, right? Right. If they if they act in it, if they're impatient about it because they're worried that they're not going to get what they want, then they'll they'll go really fast and act in a sort of frenetic way. Whereas someone who's confident in their abilities and also confident in the fact that they're going to get what they want out of life because they know that life is on their side doesn't feel that need to rush so they'll just they you know they'll do everything in a slow relaxed manner maybe they won't do everything in a slow and relaxed manner but generally there's a, a relaxed characteristic to what to the way they move through the world right and i'm just wondering how this ties into your work mm. so like in terms of movement let me give a movement example right when I watch my one of my one of my main teachers, Guru Dan Santo, when I watch him move, um, even when someone's trying to come at him kind of fast, it looks like he's not moving very fast. It looks like he's just out positioning the person every time. So no matter how frantic the other person is, how aggressive the other person is, it looks like he's almost moving in a lackadaisical fashion. Mm -hmm. um, and every single time he's out positioning the other person, like the other person is getting hit, the other person is getting like placed in a position of greater jeopardy or greater imbalance while he's just completely unscathed. So that tells me that, you know, when there's a kind of mastery, you can take the franticness on, you, you can immerse yourself in that situation of franticness, but still be that calm. Yeah. You're the eye of the storm, basically. Yeah. It's a very visible, very visible, very like tangible example of that. I've seen my jujitsu instructor, Professor Roy Harris, do the same thing where someone mm. like is coming at him like hard and heavy and he's just like very zened out, very calm, very chill, looking almost impartial. Um, and just by the pressure game, just by positioning, just by knowing where to be and how to get there, the aggression is or the franticness or that that kind of physical impatience, physical manifestation of impatience is neutralized. So it's it's very interesting that you're saying these things, and, and I'm getting to hear it from your wording. It's, they're, they're very good words. In terms of like life itself, there are certainly times when I, I feel like I'm in a rush. Like if I'm running late or something like that, then yeah, of course I'm I'm trying to. I think there isn't a day that goes by in my adult life that I'm not trying to beat the clock in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. However, I I think I've especially now that I'm a dad, you know, having two kids the time that I get to spend with them is like gold. And I realize that, man, like these kids are not going to be little this long. 
Um, and then, you know, certainly my son now, who's now 14, when I think, man, you know, in four years, he could very well be like on the other side of the world. You know, he's no mm-hmm. longer a minor. So any time that I get to spend with him, to influence him, to like give him the best parts of me is great. So like having to put everything else on hold or having to find the ability to slow down uh, my drive for, you know, achieving whatever in work to do like things with him, to spend chill time with him, whether it's like just watching a YouTube video on something that he digs or whether it's just time for us to train or whether it's time for us to just like hang out and watch TV or, or enjoy a meal together. These things like really slowing down in that arena, it has been quite enlightening for me. That's cool. Yeah. I, I really, I'm, I feel the same, uh, Dr. Mark. It's, it's, to me, I want to. I want to move through the world with grace and composure, and I find that that is intrinsically linked, or usually linked to to slowing things down. Um, and even as you said, like when when something, you know, the, the pace of modern life is fast; things are moving quickly. But you can you can be that that calm within the storm. You know, you can be the person who's not letting it affect you that way, and, and still get things done. Or at least I really like to believe that, and I've seen it proven true in my own experience. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about um, the fact that you believe that sustainability and longevity are crucial for for physical training, because you know this is something very, very close to my heart. I, I having come from a background in which uh, that mantra "go big" or, or "go hard" or "go home" was pretty much everyone's tagline or the or the default. You know, I my. You know, it's one thing when you're very young, you can you can do that. You can literally run through a brick wall and then get up and run through another one, right? Because the body recovers so quickly. But it's been it's been my experience that a lot of the, the training methodologies that are popular today, and I'll, I'll just say straight up, I believe CrossFit is one of them. I think they're actually pretty detrimental. I think they do more harm than good, and they break down the body more than they build it up. You know, another one of these expressions that I I really uh, took to heart is that, uh, which comes from um, Scott Sonnen. He said, exercise should leave the body feeling energized, not exhausted. It's beautiful. And I see so little, it's, it's so powerful that man, it changed the way I looked at everything. And it's, it's so, it's such a rare viewpoint because, you know, again, that, that idea of like, if you're not beating yourself up and destroying yourself, you're not you're not you're not doing good exercise i saw something the other day it, it was a, i think a youtube video or a, an article called um thigh destroyers right and to me i just i just thought to myself like i don't want to destroy my thighs like i need to walk on them or i need them for walking for the next 30 or 40 years right and, and, and so i'd just like to talk to you a little bit more about this and and how you came to that perspective and, and how hopefully like your insights can help shift the mindsets of some of the people listening to this, because I know some of them might still be trapped in that that way of thinking. Yeah, I think the the media and a lot of popular culture is, has popularized this culture of like fitness equals masochism. Um, and if you're a trainer, then you've got to be some kind of a sadist. And you know, there, I think that's a misrepresentation. Let me clarify things a little bit for people, or if not clarify that, let, let me at least pose a different viewpoint. What if training is training and then like then there's another thing that we call testing? And training in if you think about what training should do, let's define training as something that builds your body's potential, right? 
So like if you're if you want to talk about it as an inventory of movement, we can use training as a way of stocking the warehouse, right? So the more the more ranges of motion that we've got in the warehouse, the more skill that we've got in the warehouse, the more uh, tissue health and elasticity and, and quicker recovery that we have in the warehouse, the better we're going to perform usually, right? That thing is when you put that all on the line, like what are you capable of? But I think it's 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 irresponsible and not quite getting the point of what fitness should be like or training should be like when you th- when people say like oh you you know you perform the way you train yeah that that's true but people have taken that off the deep end i i think that training should be used to build outcomes improve the body improve the state of mind improve the reflex loops but to do it at full force, to go all out all the time is not at all sustainable. And you see that a lot from the people that have mouthed off the worst and the most vociferously when they were younger. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, like, yeah. there have been people that have talked all kinds of mad crap, like, throughout the years, saying that, oh, this is, you know, this is BS. You do this because you're weak, blah, 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 blah. Like, you know, mm-hmm. if you're a real man, you train like this. Okay, great. Real, real man. Yeah. Let's see how you talk in like 10, 15 years. And a lot of those same people yeah. that have, yeah. have, you know, pandered to that culture of hardcore adrenaline and, and go hard or go home are the most broken. Sure. It's a, I think that's such an interesting insight. Yeah. A lot of the people who mouthed off the most about it are the, are the most damaged now. And, to to me, I mean, tell, tell me your thoughts on this, but I think it's largely, you know, we, we're always looking for a guru out, or, or believing that someone outside of us knows more than our in, intrinsic knowledge, right? In particular, when it comes to the body, right? That's why there's a million diet books and loads of different exercise programs and different things. And I'm not saying that those things don't have value because they clearly do. I use them myself. But for me, the acid test for everything is is my own internal experience and how it affects me and my, and my body. Right. And I know that if I go and do a CrossFit class, an intense CrossFit class, and I have to vomit after that, I just know that that's not good for me. I can instinctively feel like my body's not supposed to feel this way, right? Like it, this isn't, this isn't good. Right. And I think a lot of people give up that, that power and that, that internal wisdom. And then that's why they get taken by, by certain things. And that's why they'll, go and do push-ups until they puke or you know eat nothing but bacon and eggs and and think that that's a healthy way to live because the latest keto guru told them told it to them you know what i mean and for me it always comes back to your own intrinsic you know know thyself it is such a powerful expression you have to figure out what works for you right and i, I don't think that i mean sure there might be some people who like that feeling of being absolutely destroyed after a workout but I think if people, if most people are honest with themselves, they 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 know on some level that it's not good for them. Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm of two minds about that. I'll, I'll say this because the human animal, like you're saying, is very complex. Um, and you know, what's good for one person could be poison for another. Like for example, in food, right? Dep- everyone's gut microbiome is slightly different. Mm-hmm. So depending on one person's body chemistry, like a particular food may do absolutely nothing or even be beneficial, whereas to someone else, they may have an app, like a, a, a very full-blown allergy to something like that. So in, in, in those cases, right, what's, again, one man's meat is another man's poison is the phrase. 
in terms of training for some people what they what they intrinsically or, or I should say instinctively feel as this could be damaging for me I really shouldn't do this that could be their impression their projection of what they think or what they feel but it may mm. be beneficial similarly some of the same people will will go and they say like look I really this this workout is absolute rubbish for me like this tai chi thing it does nothing for me like I'm not sweating I'm not doing this I'm not doing that so the hormonal cascade they're having in because of their brain's interpretation of it is very negative. So of course they're going to experience something very negative from it. So I think there's a lot that has to do with projection. Like what do we project in the mind? Right. Yeah. But there's also some physics involved as well, right? Like I don't care how much you want to will yourself into a great state of mind. If you're blowing out your knees or, or rupturing discs, then like yeah, there is an issue. Sure. If you're so sore that you can't like after a workout that you can't pick up your kid, like you can brag up and down about what a great athlete you are, but how well-rounded of a human being, right? You know, there, that's, that's the, that's the thing. Yeah. Right. And if you're working such that you can't perform activities of daily life, if you're so sore after your workout, just your workout, not a test. Like if your workout leaves you so sore that like, man, I, I'm having a hard time putting on a t-shirt. I can't get these groceries out of the store, like whatever. <laughs> Yeah, like, or I can't play with my three-year-old. Like, wait a minute, shouldn't your training be filling the warehouse so that you can do all of those easy things and perform even better on the gridiron, the court, the mat, whatever? Uh-huh. Like, that's the thing. So when I when I was talking earlier about training versus testing, people need to be really clear. Like, is this particular workout about me training to be able to have more, or am I just like getting the thrill of spending? Interesting. That's very, very interesting. Yeah, I mean, I just when you were explaining how um, is it making you so sore that you can't carry your groceries out the store or play with your three year old? Just thinking back to my younger days, I in my younger days I used to love the feeling of being sore after workout. I, I would actively seek that out, you know. And so again, I'm being a little bit harsh in saying that it's detrimental because for some people I get it. If you're an 18 year old and you're an MMA fighter and you testing yourself or you're wanting to test yourself and wanting to push your body to its limits, it might be a good thing to train in that manner. But I just know for, for myself, there, there came a point where it just, it no longer served me. So maybe it's, it's also just a stage of life thing as well. You know, that's not everything is right for every season that's in your life. And that's probably where I'm at. That's perfect. I think context is king, really. Like we need to be able to understand that some people need to test themselves more frequently because of maybe because of the the, the schedules of their competition mm -hmm. or the nature of their work. Like for example, first responders, right? You get a fireman. That guy's got to do some pretty amazing stuff on a regular basis to save lives. Mm -hmm. So his da his daily work is a test. Um and so his training has got to be a little bit more I don't know, out of the box. Mm -hmm. Whereas like if you're, you know, performing whatever, right? Like let's say you're performing activities of daily life um, and your, and your competition or your sport is like, let's say Taekwondo or Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. It's a little bit different. You're not going to necessarily need to do parkour to vault across a, like a burning building, but you're going to, you're with all kinds of kit on, but you've also got to be able to move sustainably. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at firemen, those those guys, like the injuries that some of them have are catastrophic. Mm -hmm. 
and understandably so, considering the risk that they have to put themselves on. Sure. But also, too, they need their training has to armor their bodies for that kind of to be able to kind of absorb that that catastrophic risk all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a there's a different cost benefit analysis that goes on there. Yeah, it, interesting. Well, I mean, when you just when you were relating that, I was reminded of a friend of mine who I think I'll have one on the show eventually. And and this guy is a super intelligent human being that he he started to powerlift in his in his 20s and he took it very very seriously and he's one of those guys who'll just go down the rabbit hole literally till he comes out the other side right and for him coming out the other side was he got to a point where he had herniated or ruptured several discs in his back but he was still going to the gym and trying to deadlift hundreds of pounds because you know that's what you do as a powerlifter you push through right. and you like you you know you you master your your limitations and you overcome the the, the inherent weakness and you know what i mean whatever whatever the, the paradigm is but and you know he got to a point where his doctor said to him if you don't stop doing this you will not be able to play with your kid and i think that that's the thing that finally got through to him which is interesting because you know we one of the things i've learned in my work with you know, on, on with myself and others is that the highest thing that dictates your actions or, or the thing at the root that of everything that will dictate your actions is your values. And yeah, it, to me, I just, my values now, are back in the day, it used to be being the best jujitsu fighter I could possibly be. Right. And, and that was the thing that drove everything that I wanted to do in life. But now physically my values how can I move through the world without pain and with grace and ease and just feel good? And so that's misaligned with those types of exercise. I'm sure you, you've come to a similar, or you're at a similar point. Similar. Like I think, you know, moving through the world with grace, with ease, with peace, but also facing the realization that there are people out there in the world who are far from grace and peace and ease and are troubled, are ill or violent or whatever, right? Like to be able to account for those individuals or those groups and to feel some sort of ability to, to be able to account for that and be able to handle that. Should I be in that kind of situation faced with, with dealing those kinds of individuals that, you know, that, that in and of itself is a calm. So like knowing that, yeah, okay, if I need to, I can, you know, grab the average guy and lift him up and, and, you know, and have the physical strength to be able to do that, that I think also adds to a kind of calm that adds to a kind of peace because like knowing that there's no uncertainty in my head, like, yeah, you know, if someone decides that he wants to pick a fight, I, I'm, it, it's not out of my realm of experience. You know, I know how to handle myself or if, you know, I have to rely on my physical strength or my physical ability in light of like not having the right technique to be able to deal with the situation. I have an answer for that. That that that's great. But I think also having the ability to not default to that is crucial. And I think when a lot of people train power sports or aggression-based sports, they default to those aggressions. They default to mm-hmm. that kind of power and don't yeah. know how to change gears. So that's that is that's something that we need to I think spend more time teaching as as thought leaders. Yeah, and and what came up for me while you were discussing or describing that, which I'd love to hear your opinion on is 
you know, like you've been training martial arts for a long time. So, so have I. And to me, the truth be told, I never think of martial arts in a, in a self-defense context anymore for several reasons. The first is that I really believe that, you know, the energy that you carry with you largely determines whether or not you're going to attract those types of individuals that you mentioned or those types of circumstances and situations. And, you know, like I, I just don't, I never worry about being attacked, right? It's just that it doesn't enter my mind because I just don't go out carrying fear or carrying uh, anger or rage against the world. Like when I was 18, I remember 18, 19, I was getting into fights all the time. Where were you at the time? I was in South Africa, but I, and I was, you know, I, I think it's because I was carrying with me an insecurity that kind of, you know, attracted people who kind of picked picked on that and it's it's interesting i ha- have a client who he went through something similarly got into a fight at work some guy just kept pecking away and pecking away and like trying to trying to provoke him and eventually they, they they got into an altercation and afterwards we were discussing this and i said to him it's going to be difficult for you to accept this and understand this but this didn't come from that guy it came from you it's something within you that aggravated him like that or that caused him to see you as a target or or to see to to attack your 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 weakness it's an energy within you that you have to deal with and that's kind of where i'm at now um sorry i don't know i've been rambling a little bit dr mark but i I just love to get your opinion on that yeah no no no. that's beautiful and i think you're spot on i think there are certain times that that we carry around our own insecurities we carry around these chips on our shoulders and so like the slightest perturbation makes us feel like someone's trying to knock that chip off of our shoulder yeah and really that that perturbation may be our own internal unsteadiness or, and we don't really need to have that chip on our shoulder to begin with. Mm-hmm. So there's that sort of hypervigilance that some people have. On the other hand, I think that there are certainly those individuals that through zero fault of their own are victims of violence. And so, you know, <laughs> one need only pay attention, a little bit of attention to the news to see what's going on these days, as far as like racial violence, especially. Mm-hmm. There are plenty of stories of elderly Asians who like are coming out of grocery stores or getting out of subways or doing this or doing that and who are being attacked. Well, I didn't even know that. Wow. Yeah. So in light of that, what is it that they're, are they carrying around a particular energy that invites an attack? I don't think so. I think there are some people yeah, who great, great are, point. like I said, ill. There are some people who are particularly violent, some people who are, you know, psychotic, antisocial, whatever the, the label is that fits per each person's paradigm. But there's an undeniable fact that there is violence and people who will attack you. So it's not about a fight in terms of a physical challenge. Sure. That's like a physical challenge is, is, is what my friend Tim Larkin would say, like social violence, right? A social violence is like, Someone just doesn't like how you look and with zero warning decides it like, oh, like for whatever reason, you remind me that of COVID or this or that, right? And so I'm going to attack you. Like yeah. think about going like back to South Africa and like the, the shadiest, most dodgy street in Joburg. And you just walking around like oblivious as all get out. What is, does that, I mean, that that's that kind of behavior invites a sort of problem, don't you think? Sure. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, you've really made me think. 
especially the example of like, you know, an elderly Asian person just being attacked because someone's xenophobic or they've got some stupid idea in their head. And, and you are right. I, I think that it's, it's probably a combination of the two things that, you know, you, it's a function of the individual and also the, the other, right? Like, and, and you have to, I guess, do your very best to prepare for or, or address both of those things. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's, that's improved. I really believe that that's improved my perspective on that. Thank you. I'm honored. Yeah. Um, Dr. Mark, I want to speak to you a little bit more about your, your latest thing, which is um, a fusion of all of the knowledge that you've, you've gathered over these, uh, I mean, how many years has it been that you've been dedicated to understanding movement and human potential and, and combat 30 or 40 or, I mean, you're not that old, but I was a kid. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's been a long time. So it's called K3 combat movement systems. And can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes. Yes. K3 has been quite the passion project that's going on for quite some time. For those folks that are unfamiliar with my background, I'm a senior instructor under Pavel Tsulin, who is uh, one of, he actually, I shouldn't say one of, hands down, without the efforts of Pavel Tsutsulin, uh, the kettlebell would be a, still a fringe piece of equipment in mm. like strongman gyms and, and, you know, Eastern Bloc countries. Mm. Um, but thanks to his work, the kettlebells become ubiquitous in almost every gym, certainly like a fixture in every CrossFit box and, you know, most tactical teams. I've been very fortunate to spend an extensive amount of time studying privately and semi-privately directly with Pavel Tsutsulin himself. And so I serve as a senior instructor under him. And so around 08, thereabouts, um, and I'd also been, I'd probably spent like at that point a decade or more writing for Black Belt Magazine. So I had a little bit of a name in, in the martial arts as well. Uh, I think I was finishing up my doctorate around that time in Chinese medicine. So like I kind of had a little bit of a, a reputation in different fields. And so people were asking me around 08, hey, Doc, what do you do for your workout? Like, what does your perfect workout look like? What do you do for like fitness, for training, for all the things that you want to do? And so I thought about it for a minute. I thought, well, it really revolves around three Ks. Like the first K, let's say kettlebells, obviously, from training with Powell. And the second K would be implement-based martial arts, like Kali or Kribi Kabong. So Kali being um, Filipino martial arts and Kribi Kabong being Thai martial arts or Thai weaponry arts. And then the third K would have been um, kick punch based martial arts like karate, kung fu, capoeira, anything like that. So I thought about that and I go, huh, three Ks, K3. So K3 combat movement systems. So originally it was like, what are the skill sets and what are the practices that I do to make me better at what I do? And a lot of what I do in terms of not only healing the body, in terms of helping the body, in terms of helping my own performance and my own rehab um, and prehab, uh, but also improving a tactical skill set. And then I thought like, wow, you know, a lot of the stuff that we do with K3 or the concepts and the training methods behind K3 and warrior culture also work really well in terms of just rehabilitation and training athletes. Like what athlete doesn't need to move better? Just like what warrior doesn't need to move better? What warrior doesn't need to recover faster? What athlete doesn't need to recover faster? What warrior doesn't need better ranges of motion? Same thing with whatever athlete or any other human being. So we took these combat-derived drills and combat-derived training methods, and they've now parlayed them over not only into prehab, rehab, but and also academic performance as well. So understanding that there's a neurology 
that's a binding logic for anything that we do and using the drills that have proven themselves over time or using the training methods that have proven themselves over time to improve that um, lies at the heart of K3. Interesting. Now, I'm sorry, I just please help me understand when you say how this uh, movement system or the, what you've created can, can help perform academic, help a person perform academically. How, how do you tie those together? Oh yeah, this is awesome. So like one of my mentors, one of, probably the guy that took my understanding of clinical medicine and turned it on its ear, Gray Cook. Gray has demonstrated time and time again that um, you can take kids that are academically challenged and if you put them through something called the functional movement screen, screen them, find their movement or their fundamental movement pattern that has the greatest deficiency, help them train in those patterns, those movement patterns of greatest deficiency, and watch how, there's, how their academic scores improve, there's a, pretty much a one-to-one correlation. Wow, that's, fa- that's absolutely fascinating to me. I had no idea. Insane. So similarly, right, with movements that, like, if you think about most sports and also most of, most of our human expression, we have a dominant side, right? Like there's a side that if you wanted to do some fine motor skill, you would default to one particular hand or one particular foot. So there's one half of your brain that is like super developed. The other half, not quite so much. But if there's an injury to that developed side of the brain, what has to help? What has to pick up the slack? The not so trained side. So if if you have training methods that allow you to develop a kind of symmetry in a progressive, intelligent, digestible fashion, and those types of symmetry allow you to develop like high levels of coordination and pattern recognition, as well as like myelinating or grooving very, very like appropriate, efficient responses. How beneficial would that be in terms of like not only movement, but also athleticism and academics? Wow. That's, I'd never, well, I thought in kind of similar ways, but the the way you've put it is, is very uh, new to me, and it, it's it's helping me connect a bunch of dots for myself. That's that's absolutely wonderful. It's cool because we've had some kids that you know, and right now the the we don't have that large of a sample size yet because again, I'm not funding this myself, but we've definitely shown that there's been market improvement for some of the individuals that we've been experimenting with. Almost all the individuals that we've been experimenting with, actually. Um, who have dyslexia and who have gone through some of the training that we've been able to offer. They've, they've definitely said, like, given us feedback saying that, yeah, like, it's totally different. Reading is very different now. Wow, that's absolutely fascinating. It, it, just having spoken to you for this last, um, I guess it's close to 40 minutes, it's just inspired me on many levels, but I, I want to come train with you again because I'd love that. It's, yeah, I'd, I'd really, there's so much to learn from a guy like you. And if, if, those listening have an interest in movement and have an interest in, I guess it's beyond movement. It's in becoming the best version of yourself, which is what the show is all about. And they want to learn more about your work. Where's the best place for them to go, Dr. Mark? Social media is something that I keep quite, quite up to date with. Um, usually. So I'm on the big three, Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter. Um, and my okay. handle is universal on all three of them. And that would be at D-R-M-A-R-K-C-H-E-N-G at Dr. Mark Cheng. Great. That's fantastic. Dr. Mark, a thousand blessings on you and thank you for sharing your wisdom with us. 
same to you, my dear friend. It's so good to hear your voice again and uh, looking forward to having you back here at the Sanctum. I'm sure you guys could tell what a good human being Mark is. You can just sense he's got a good energy. He's at peace with himself. He's self-actualized. He's got a lot of wisdom to share. And, you know, I just want to spend more time with people like that because they help they help lift us up and they help us grow. And uh, it's just a, it's a great pleasure. So thanks again, Mark, for being on the show. And I'm sure we'll have him. We'll have him back on soon. Hope you guys are, are well and that you are starting to get ready for the world to reopen and give yourself a pat on the back. You survived the end of the world. <laughs> Good job. Uh, I look forward to chatting to you guys again in a week. Until then, love and light. <laughs>